Hello and welcome to another mini episode of the Cosmic Savannah. My name is Chemiso Makwela, your guest host for today's mini episode. I'm currently a PhD candidate in the Department of Astronomy at the University of Cape Town. My work looks at the astronomy education research field, where I aim to probe student engagement with different aspects of astronomy. But today it isn't about me. My guest today is Andrew Firth. Andrew is a master's student at the University of Cape Town and the South African Astronomy Observatory. He is currently working on his research on the improvement of radio data, which will be applied on some of the surveys of the Mieket Telescope. You heard right, the Mieket Telescope. In this interview, Andrew will be sharing how he developed an interest in astronomy and the role that his father played in this. His research is on atrial astronomy, which is the 21 centimeter spectral line which is created by a change in energy states of neutral atoms. He is specifically looking at improving SNR through cube stacking. So you may ask, what is SNR? So SNR refers to signal to noise ratio. So he is doing cube stacking, which involves the alignment of data cubes from galaxies to flatten the noise and improve the signal. Before I give a lot away, let us get in the interview and listen to what Andy had to tell us. Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah. Today our guest is Andrew Firth, who is a master's student at UCT. Is it GCT? That, that is correct. I'm, I'm based at the SAO and uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for having us. So Andrew will be chatting to us about what he's studying in his master's, but also he'll be telling us a little bit about his background and how he got into astronomy. Who is Andy? Oh, okay. Um, so, um, as you said, my birth name is Andrew Firth. Um, but a lot of people call me Andy, and I'm okay with that. Um, unless I owe you something, and then in that case, it's Dennis. It's always good to, to have some backup. Well, I was born in the Northern Cape, so that had a big influence on my desire to study astronomy. Um, the night skies there are brilliant. Um, if, you, if you go to Carnarvon, which is where I'm from, um, you, you absolutely, it, it's, it's like fire in the sky. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, and also my upbringing, my dad also used to show me many displays on, on how daylight works and how the phases of the moon work using cricket balls and a candlelight. Since, since that's um, it's really only ever been one thing that I wanted to do. And that was astronomy. Yeah, here doing your research in astronomy. Please tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm essentially continuing my honors um, project from last year. Um, and it's in the improvement of, so I can tell you the, 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 the title. Yeah. And it might be a bit of a word salad. But the title generally went Improving Spectral SNR through cube stacking. Um, mm. And so at no point there does it sound like I've mentioned astronomy. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> um, but really, um, this, is, this is really tackling what's a very, a very big problem when it comes to what's H1 astronomy or the study of the 21 centimeter line. And so that's a branch of astronomy um, in radio astro um, astrophysics, in, mm. in my case, um, where we study the the emission of um, 21 centimeter long wavelengths 
through a particular um, transition in a, in a hydrogen atom. And so that transition of uh, transition being an electron moving through various states releases a photon. And that photon, which is this particle of light, um, moves through the, or the, the wavelength of that, of that radiation as a, as a length of 21 centimeters. And um, this has very useful uh, applications in astronomy in that it's a very long wavelength. So it's not very, very much, it doesn't interact much with gases in between. So it, it travels for very long distances, but there's a drawback with not, everything has some sort of catch. And in this case, it's a very weak form of emission. Mm. And so the only reason we really see it is because hydrogen is so abundant in the universe. And so even though hydrogen is so abundant, the signal, which is the S part of this word called SNR, is very weak. So in order, so what you want is a very high signal and low noise. So in other words, a high signal to noise ratio. And you can do this through, through many, many means. And a very, um, a very popular way of doing it is through stacking data of, this, of, of, of an object or images of an object. Uh, so you take, so in conventional photography, you, you take multiple images, you'll, you'll stack them and hopefully um, stack them, meaning you'll, you'll align them and then add all the various um, pixels together. And that usually flattens the noise and improves the signal. And of course you have to do some averaging, otherwise you're not looking at what you think you're looking at anymore. So you're looking at something else. So our, our task was to, take this idea and to move it into three dimensions. So a sort of three dimensional picture of a galaxy, um, but it's not the, the physical aspect of the galaxy, but more the motional aspect of the galaxy. So this is very difficult to explain without moving my hands. I'll try my best to convey it in sound. So I'm sure, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the Doppler effect. Yeah, I have. So you, you, um, that works for sound for very well. If you, if you've heard the whole notion of a train coming towards you and leaving you with the ho with a hooter, that high pitch when it's coming towards you yeah. and the low pitch when it's going away from you. So in the same way, um, we look at galaxies um, using a radio uh, telescope, and there, there's H1 gas, what's um, the hydrogen gas that's in in the, in and around this this sort of bowl of galaxy, this bowl of space. And this bowl is filled with, with hydrogen gas. And this hydrogen gas isn't, isn't stationary, so it's all moving around the center of this galaxy. Um, so it's rotating, just like if you imagine a spiral, spiral galaxy, they, they mm -hmm. tend to have a lot of it. It's all rotating about this, the center. And so if you're looking at a galaxy, um, let's take the easiest, if you just picture a, a spinning CD disk, um, and you're looking at the edge of that CD disc. Um, one side of that CD disc um, that you're looking at will be coming towards you and the other part will be going away from you. And so that compresses or stretches um, the, the, the signal, the, eight, the 21 centimeter line that's coming from this hydrogen. And that gives you some sort of idea of how this galaxy is moving. It gives you the, the clumps of gas that's coming towards you and the clumps of gas that's going away from you. And so in my project, we want to improve this by making sure that we align galaxies 
and this is this is further complication that galaxies are not all positioned the same in space. Mm-hmm. It's all random, like random scattered all around. And so, just like I spoke about, you have to average them. You have to make sure that the image that you're taking is identical when you add them, or rather, the galaxies inside have the same orientation inside that data cube. Um, Yes, and so my, my algorithm that, or our algorithm that we're trying to, to develop um, is in sort of phase two of production now. We're trying to make it a little bit smarter. Mm-hmm. And um, that involves using optical properties for when you try and align galaxies inside a data cube. Oh. Hopefully I've, I've not spoken myself into a web. This is all really interesting. You also mentioned a radio telescope. Um, I'm sure our viewers have heard about radio all over, but like, please tell us a bit more about the radio telescope. And is that where you get your data? Or um, Yes, so we use, um, so a radio telescope is very much similar to an optical telescope in that an optical telescope collects lights or, or photons or focuses light to a detector. And... Um, uses the wavelengths that we can see, which is in the nanometer range. I can't, exactly, I can't remember exactly, but it's about like 500 nanometers around there. And that's the length of the, the wavelength. So there's a peak and a crest. The distance between those two things is about 500 or on the order of nanometers. Um, in the case of radio, um, radio, in radio electromagnetic light or radio light, um, those, those wavelengths are a lot longer. And so you, they, a lot of the, the particles, a lot of the photons bypass and just, just cannot be detected by a, an optical uh, telescope. So you have to design a, a different telescope, which is able to collect photons from a radio source like H1. There are other sources as well, but I wouldn't dare uh, claim <laughs> to know much about it. Um, but in, in the case of H1, which is a 21 centimeter line, um, but they, they work on the same principle. You're just collecting photons from mm-hmm. a source that's emitting radio, radio waves, radio light. Yeah. Um, and so we use the data from a radio telescope array. And so to get to, to make data cubes, you need sort of, you need to know a, the, the delay <coughs> between signals from the different parts of the galaxy. And in that delay, because, because the galaxy is moving, there's a delay between when the, if you again think about the, the CD um, analogy, the part of the CD that's closest to you gets released a little bit sooner than the part that's moving away from you. And so there's a sort of delay and also lengthening of the wave. And there's also a delay, uh, the, the spacing between different telescopes in the array so now we're back on Earth now and we're thinking about how we've placed the, the, the telescopes. That um, spacing co- um, allows us to infer what's called phase shift information. And from that, a whole bunch of complicated maths, which I haven't dealt mm. with directly <laughs> myself, but I trust the, the mathematicians and yeah. engineers, um, allows us to construct a data cube. Oh. And, it's from, and, I'm fr- and my work starts from the... From the the computer side of things. So I hardly, mm. I haven't touched a radio telescope in, in my life t- to this point, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. 
Okay, so this has been really, really fascinating to know about and to know of. But why do you do this? What really motivates you to, to do the work that you do? A question that keeps, uh, that keeps me interested is, how did we all get here? And so one way you can study that is through astronomy. And you can, you can look in the radio waves, which travel much further than optical waves, because of the, the things about extinction. And you can look and, um, sure, as, as you might have heard before, if you look far, you look back in time as well. So if you look further away from Earth, you look further back into the past. And you can study the things that are far back in the past um, to gain some sort of sense on the evolution of the universe, how, how galaxies form, how, um, how, how all the things that we see around us in, in the night sky, how they came about. Because you can see further and further. And I think and that's one of the main reasons why I've gone into radio extragalactic astronomy. Oh, okay. So that, that's really interesting. I'm already motivated myself. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. Thank you, thank Andy, you for, for being with us today. And thank you for having me, Timmy. informative discussion we've just had with Andrew. His work in radio astronomy sounds very exciting but yet challenging, especially trying to align the galaxies found in the age 121 centimeter line as galaxies come in different shapes and sizes. I think Andrew gave us amazing analogies and examples to help us visualize what he is doing. Astronomy is indeed challenging, but like I said, very fascinating as it gives us another avenue of understanding the universe better. I hope you enjoyed this mini episode with me, Tiami Somagwela and Andrew Frith. I thank you.